When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley. I'm Tim Priester, and it is December 4th. And yesterday, Sunday, we found out Notre Dame has a bowl destination. It's a good one, the Citrus Bowl in Orlando against LSU. We were thinking, what, last time we met, that it was chances were really good they would be camping world. But Ohio State's win re-slotted the Big Ten teams and certainly helped. Good matchup, don't you think, guys? I mean, considering when we were talking about the potential of Iowa State, and nobody would be interested in that. And the Oklahoma State matchup scared me just to watch it uh, with them averaging almost 600 yards and almost 50 points a game. It's a game where you can get some credibility out of winning it, uh, which is significant. I mean, I also think that the date is nice for the the players in particular, never mind the the media who happen to be covering them, because otherwise, if they was be camping, here for Christmas, yeah, if it's camping world, they'd be down there on the 22nd. Because it's citrus and the game's on the first, they don't have to show up to the twenty sixth. So I, I think it's it's a game that has a lot of things going for it. I also think that um, you look at Washington making the New Year six and think, yeah, it kind of feels like Notre Dame only has itself to blame for not being in that yeah. in that group itself. I think if you eliminate other teams. The Citrus Bowl one o'clock on New Year's Day against nine and three LSU feels like the exact right spot. For this Notre Dame team to be in, when you bring up Washington being in a New Year's Six Bowl, it makes you think, man, Notre Dame could be in a New Year's Six Bowl. But if you just do the, I'm looking at Notre Dame, they had a season as a whole commensurate with a maybe the last team to get into New Year's Six. But if you watch them in November, you think maybe this is the better spot against LSU. So both, I think it's yeah. fair either way. I don't, you, no one should be screaming. I can't believe they are not in the New Year's Six. But you can certainly look at a team with a New Year's Six and say, well, that's too, that's yeah, well, that's I, a load of garbage right there, but I think it works both ways. Yeah, Notre, yeah. Notre Dame didn't have a great argument to be in it, um, they but had Washington te- really didn't either. No, they had a technically <laughs> great argument. They had a better year than Washington, yeah. but they just, yeah, the way Nord- it ended, you know, Notre Dame is fine right where they are. I think so much of the way we view everything is what happened the last, you know, month of the season, and I get that, but based upon what Notre Dame did in their first eight and a half games or into their ninth game, certainly their resume is sparkling yes. compared to a lot of teams, especially somebody like Washington. So they're in the right place. You know, that's why I say, I don't, I think we kind of looked at it like, well, they don't deserve to play on January 1st. Well, yeah, they do. Uh, under these circumstances, the Citrus versus LSU, I think it's the right kind of matchup and, and they earned it. Yeah. It's, I think the, the LSU dynamics playing them for the second time in four Four seasons going back to the Music City Bowl. It's a, 
it's certainly a much different feel around Notre Dame about their odds going to that game. That may have been one of the most um, certain picks for a loss that I've ever had covering Notre Dame uh, before they came and then they come back to win it in a really creative game plan that uh, Kyle Birds caps with a game-winning field goal. But uh, I think even with Ed Orgeron and the way LSU started the season, losing to Troy um, at home, it, uh, they definitely have got their stuff together a little bit. The SEC, I, I do think, is you know, somewhat down. But they played Alabama <laughs> in a legitimate, respectable way, and not everybody can say that they've done that. You, 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 they were 3-2 and two when they lost to Troy. Now, Troy's a good Sun Belt team. They won the Sun Belt. They're 10-2. and two. Losing it at LSU is, is really strange. But th- that's a decent football team. But at that point, they're 3-2. and two, And so now they've won 6 out of 7. Um, I was not aware that the win over Auburn, they were trailing 20 to nothing. And uh, so the Auburn fans were chanting, get rid of Gus Melzahn at that point. Um, so, you know, I mean, usually when an LSU team is down 20 to nothing, they don't have enough offense. But Matt Canada is the offensive coordinator, and he's revived that a little bit. They still don't score a ton. I mean, they're still below the middle of the pack in the country in scoring. But obviously with Darius Geis, they can run the football. Danny Etling, like he did at Purdue, still had to fight to keep his starting job. But he's done it mainly by protecting the football with 14 touchdown passes and just two interceptions. If both teams show up, this will be one of the most fun bowl games of the season. Or eliminate the playoffs where it matters so much. If you have both LSU and Notre Dame show up at their best, you'll have Ohio State-USC is the coolest sounding matchup because of the way the teams are playing at the end. LSU-Notre Dame... Both of them show up. LSU brings their best defense. Notre Dame brings their best offense and quality defense. That's that's a really good bowl game. I bet you both teams don't show up in that manner, though. <laughs> Probably not. Um, I I guess I, I have real uncertainty about both teams and how they show up, frankly. An LSU it's team weird... that beats Auburn and was right there with Alabama can show up. Or a team that don't just throw out Troy because I'm going to guess their focus wasn't yeah, all that, that awesome. Yeah, that was that was seven games ago. <laughs> they right? got ripped by Mississippi State too. And I know that was and that a long was time further, ago. Even sure, further, yeah. but you know that's a no show up against a team you have yeah. to be ready for. They were what was it? LSU was ranked at what at the time? Probably tenth when sure they lost to Mississippi ahead. State because that was they, they were lost favored. by thirty. Their, their their last three wins to close the season were all against teams that fires a coach. <laughs> so. You're and, saying it was that convincing, Pete. No. Yeah. <laughs> and and terrible rush defenses, and Darius Geis had his best games right at the end of the season. They faced Arkansas 97th, Tennessee 126, A&M 64. So, but the difference is, the, I mean, they should be feeling pretty good about themselves. Mississippi State and Troy were a long time ago. They've won six out of seven. They're on an upswing. And I, I do think it will be an interesting test for Wimbush because that's really on top of – it's win the game and your quarterback looks good. That Those are the two things you need to hit. Uh, LSU is top 10 pass efficiency defense. Uh, they get to the quarterback. They, I think, have given up nine touchdown passes all year, uh, which is top 10 nationally. So it's it will be a challenge for Wimbush, not because he needs to go out there and throw for 300 yards, but he needs to go out there and not have 17 incompletions and two interceptions. And I, I think for Notre Dame in general... I don't want to say Wimbush playing well or turning a metaphorical corner is more important than winning the game, but it's not that far off of it because I think Notre Dame's coaching staff 
feels like they have a potential quarterback problem on their hands, and Wimbush playing well might not solve it, but it would at least give them some material to work with moving forward that I'm not entirely sure they fully believe that they have. I don't have a lot of confidence Brandon Wimbush will throw well against Dave Aranda's defense with those athletes, but I do think Brandon Wimbush can have a, a fine, solid game and lead Notre Dame to a win where he throws... 20 passes, completes 12, one is for a big one, and he throws a pick, and he runs well. Not to the outside, because we've learned that doesn't work so well against speed. And, Wimbush. and that's, that's not ripping on Wimbush. I mean, there's, he's not only have to beat one guy. He has teams mm-hmm. that are now planning, and I know Wimbush wanted to ignore this, but he has teams that are now planning to not let him get outside them, yeah. because he can't stop and make the throw. He doesn't have to have a great game. He can have a fine game, because he's had five games against teams... I know USC was down in that game, but he had a really, you know, he's he's had good games this year. You can see more out of Brandon Wimbush with a month to prepare. It is unfortunately a rough matchup with Dave Aranda and the speed yeah. they have on the secondary. If Notre Dame doesn't block well, and if Notre Dame doesn't run the ball well, Wimbush is going to look terrible, and they're going to get boat raced. If Notre Dame doesn't run the ball well against the 23rd ranked rush defense, the reason you don't have, go ahead, Tim. They should be with Notre Dame's running game. What we thought we knew about it, it doesn't matter that they're the twenty third ranked rush. Okay, defense. you should right. still run the ball. Well. Right, I, I'll yeah. buy that. But the reason you don't have, you start by saying I don't have confidence in Brandon Wimbush, and the reason you don't have confidence is because he doesn't have confidence in his ability to do that. Um, I'm going to start getting statistical probably every time we have a podcast from here on out, but. Opponents are completing less than 53% of their passes against LSU. What do you think Brandon Wimbush is going to – you want to – I think you just he gave a 55%. Improve. He can still improve. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't want to overnumber us here this far in advance of the game. But, uh, yeah, that's that's just one of the things that, that you're very concerned about. Also very concerned about a, a wide receiver that's averaging 23 yards per reception who also had a 75-yard punt return. Um. You know, that's DJ Chark, who is one of many real quality athletes for LSU. I think for Notre Dame and Wimbush, it it's really just an efficiency more than just a, a raw production. Because it, if you look at Notre Dame's running game and why it's tailed off at the end of the year, I think it has to do with their quarterback's inability to throw the football. And a seventh defender is... Oh, no, pop- it's the offensive line's fault. Yeah. A seventh defender is it's popping up in the box right. uh, in a way that it wasn't in September and certainly October because teams know that Wimbush has to throw to beat them, and they're like, go ahead and, and try to do that. It hasn't happened. So, I mean, I, I think for Notre Dame overall, it's um, the 10th win. I think we could have a discussion about, like, okay, is that really as big a deal as everyone's making it out to be? It, but it's it's just... I guess it's a it's a pebble in a pile of credibility. It's not a huge deal, but it's not nothing either. It's not a loss when you're eight and one to finish nine and four. It's the law. Lo- it's almost like the loss is so much worse than the win is good because of what's just happened. Yeah, you can't be eight and one and ready for the playoffs as a third ranked team three of the last and lose four. three of the last four. Yeah. So that way, I guess the win number ten is huge. Does ten and three sound that amazing? Sounds really good, but nine and four, losing three of your last four, is a bad reality. No, nine and four and th- sounds worse than ten and three. Sounds, sounds good, good. Yes. right? And but it, but ultimately, it would be ten and three by beating LSU, right? And that adds a little bit, another pebble to the pile that you're talking about. In a way, they got a tough matchup considering who they are right now, and in a way, it's the only one that would appease fans to win. Because yeah. I know Oklahoma State could beat Notre Dame, possibly could certainly beat Notre Dame. You don't get as much. 
by beating Oklahoma State. Probably in a not. December but I think 28th pretty, bowl as uh, you do yeah, now. Yeah, but I mean, everybody knows. Whatever. That's neither the date of the bowl does way. matter. I think Pete was around the date of the bowl, don't you? Being, yeah, yeah. Everyone tunes in and watches But if Notre Dame had beaten Oklahoma State, I mean, I think most fans, college football fans, understand that Oklahoma State's really, really yeah. good. But beating LSU, there's probably more credibility in that. LSU case. favored by two and a half, by the way. The first line. I actually thought Notre Dame would be favored by a point and a half going this when we talked about that the basketball game. LSU is favored. I thought, by what it, I, is that what it opened at? I thought it, it opened right at. Now. I thought it opened at Notre Dame minus one. That's right a bad sign. Dame. Yeah, that would be a bad <laughs> sign. I'll, I'll check and see if that's what it opened at. But right now it's two and a half. And Alabama, the fourth seed, is favored over Clemson by two and a half, and favored to win the national title. For everyone wondering who should have gotten in. <laughs> it's up to yeah. two and a half, yeah. really. Wow, I didn't, I hadn't seen that yet this morning. The intrigue. Oh, I got days in advance. I have a trivia question for you guys. Danny Etling played quarterback for Purdue against Notre Dame in 2014. He threw two touchdown passes. He was intercepted twice. I know one. Who picked him off? Joe Schmidt. Joe Schmidt. And uh, Kyle, I don't know the other one. Oh, Devin Butler. Devin Butler oh, is correct. Whoa. Nice right, job. I'm out. See you guys. Good. Yeah. Nice job. Joe Schmidt. I may have to do a where you're on Joe Schmidt. <laughs> do you still have the football that you picked off from Danny <laughs> Um Yeah, it's, we're going to hear from him now. Yeah. yeah. As far as football uh, access goes, the Echoes are Friday. We'll have some interviews coming up with players who win the award. There's there's some pretty interesting stuff that comes out of that. Um, but why don't we spin it towards hoops a little bit? Because O'Malley, you, were, you guys were both at the game we yesterday. Were, yeah. I was at Michigan State. Last Thursday, um, I think as we talked about on our last podcast, Notre Dame was not going to go undefeated this year. A loss at Michigan State <laughs> might be a fine place to pick up your first That's loss, true. and they really picked up their first loss. Why don't loss. you start by telling us what the atmosphere um, was like? The atmosphere was incredible. It, uh, I sort of joked on Twitter that I knew Notre Dame was in trouble when Tom Izzo came out with the turnover chain in warm-ups, because <laughs> it was unbelievably loud for a basketball game. I... Unlike football, where we travel around all the time and see sort of everyone's best atmosphere, I this is, I think, only the third road basketball game that I've ever covered. Uh, Assembly Hall was one. Freedom Hall was the other. And this one at the Breslin. Uh, it was incredibly loud. And I thought Notre Dame was exposed for being a really good team that's not super athletic and ran into a really good team that is super athletic. Um and whereas I think Mike Bray sort of is a a difference maker in those matchups often uh, against Tom Izzo, he was not, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting talking to Fluger and Colson after the game. Uh, Colson used the term reality check. Uh, Fluger talked in similar terms, but I I thought that there it, you didn't have to look very hard to find something that Notre Dame could take out of it. I thought Martin Gebbin played really well in a. In a well, he played well in a difficult situation. He's played well for five straight games. I thought that um, TJ Gibbs had a good first half, and then Fluger had a good game. I think Colson and Farrell probably are going to be better than that in bigger spots moving forward. And then for DJ Harvey, Elijah Burns, and John Mooney, you can't grow from a terrible game like that until you have a terrible game like yeah. that. So it can be a starting point for like, oh, I am I actually have quite a bit more to go than I thought that I did, DJ Harvey in particular. And in the end, I, I don't think there's a huge amount of shame in losing to a team that's probably going to be in the Final Four. I thought two real good things came out of it. Number one, they 
responded and answered the bell to start the second half and cut it to seven. You could have you could have cashed it yep. in, you know, and you didn't you wouldn't have had to have made a, a run there, but they did, and that was a positive. For those that read my full court press the day after the game, I, Martin Gevin's development, not just at Michigan State, which is a huge, obviously a huge place to play well, uh, but it started in Maui. It started with Chaminade, which isn't that great of an accomplishment. It continued with LSU, which is more of a accomplishment. And then he was really good again against Wichita State. So to me, Martin Gebbins development here the last five games, if he can stay dialed in confidence-wise, is a huge, huge advantage moving forward for this team. I was at home, and my son asked me five minutes in the game if we could start rooting for the team in white because it would be more fun. <laughs> So that was that was my experience yeah. with the Notre Michigan State game. But I did like your tweet afterwards about Kevin. I think yeah. that's relevant. Like, look, if Tom Izzo loses that game in December, he does it every year, and he thinks, you know what, it'll be much better because we played that team, and right. that's what happens to them. That is their formula. I love that they Notre Dame played, had that test at Michigan State. Doesn't matter they lost it all. It literally matters nothing that they lost it all as long as they learned from it. It's also one of those games where if Matt Farrell comes out. If they were down nine and he came down and pulled up and shot a three, you hit that shot and you hit a couple more shots. You don't win, but you don't lose by 18. It's it's a guy like that needs to keep you in those games. He was. He, was, he couldn't quite n- do it. Nobody's, Matt Farrell would never make an excuse, and I'm not making an excuse for him, but he was sick that night. No, and it, you, <clears throat> irrespective of that, if you just yeah. if somebody just hits a couple right. of those shots and right. you play better, you don't you don't beat Michigan State, yeah. but you also don't get absolutely taken apart. I think if, if there was a one major concern that I could see hanging over Notre Dame the rest of the season is the fact that if they run into a team that likes to run a lot and you're only going to play six and a half guys, yeah. you've got a problem. No doubt. And I think that 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 I there are many things that I think we correctly estimated with Michigan State. They're really long, they're really athletic, they have some experience. Um, but the fact that they use their bench as much as they did, Miles Bridges is the only guy that played thirty minutes. Yeah. And Notre Dame had three guys who played thirty six. Um I don't think Notre Dame's going to run into many teams that are that deep, but yeah. when they do, it's and they like to run. I, I'm not sure Notre Dame. That's that's just a bad matchup if you're looking into March. Like, see, a team likes to run as deep, could be a problem. Yeah. For Notre Dame. I mean, and it, what you're saying, Pete, is compounded by the fact that I mean, certainly DJ Harvey is an athlete that can be on the court with other athletes, but as they get deeper into their bench, it's it's just big guys. It's not it's not athletes. So if you get in a running situation, uh, you know, like you did with Michigan State or mm-hmm. many, many other teams, you're and you dig into your bench, well, it's not six four, six five guys that can run. It's six nine guys that are gonna, you know, pound, which doesn't help you against speed teams. He'll have to find a way to expertly use Burns, Torres, and Mooney this year because what Torres bring, he cannot, you know, he hurts you so much on offense, but he goes in a game. He's got and he gets play. he gets I, a steal, a block, a diving play on the ground, a tipped rebound, but he can't hit a free throw. He can't. He finish. needs to play at least so he, three minutes. We every feel game. differently, I think, than Pete does on this. He three needs. Min- to get I'm not in every saying game. he needs to play eight minutes. No. Three minutes every game because he always does something positive when he comes in the game. It's just, if you just look, I'm, he can get a tip in. He can get a diving play on the floor. He can get a block shot. He can get a steal. Even in the awful game he played against Michigan State, just pulling it up. Nine minutes, two rebounds, steal, block, turnover, assist. He's more athletic than Burns and Mooney. So right, that's, nine so that's minutes for everybody else, they're just standing exactly. there. That's four fouls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's has he'll have trouble in those games, but he he you need to find a way to get minutes out of him because occasionally, for instance, the last time they played Michigan State, he has more confidence he's at home. They win because of his defense. 
He's one. He's just a little different than and Mooney is too. If Mooney could hit a shot at home, especially, he could have a decent ten yeah. minutes. You can't go into the Breslin Center with Mooney and think he's going to rescue them. I'll either. say this about Harvey, and he he clearly didn't play very well. But he didn't play. You were there, so maybe I saw it differently from TV. But I didn't think he played tentatively. He was he was aggressively bad. <laughs> Yeah, I th- which is kind of like when I said, "Hey, Gebbin can get up and down the right. floor." A couple years ago, he, at least he was aggressive in making mistakes. It and was getting a, overwhelmed. It was he was definitely overwhelmed. I thought it was a mix um, where you couldn't really maybe necessarily look at him and say, "Oh, he has no business being on the court." I just think that <laughs> he ran into better players, and then the environment got his no, head. No doubt. But that had, would that I mean that would happen to just yeah. about any freshman in the country. Like I said, it's a it's a good. And O'Malley, you've made this point, and I think Tom Izzo makes this point every year with the scheduling. You play these kinds of games to prepare yourself for what's coming in February, and particularly March, and maybe even April. And I think for DJ Harvey, this will probably be a great learning experience for the rest of his season. Um, and certainly for Notre Dame, we'll, we'll expertly prepare them for the road trip to Delaware coming up. So <laughs> I, li- I do like, I mean, just in general, I do like DJ Harvey's game. I mean, he brings a lot to the equation when he's dialed in. And we should real briefly talk about last night because Mike Bray, or yesterday afternoon, Mike Bray was thrown out of the game for the first time in 720-some games of his coaching career. He'd never been thrown out before. Uh, if you didn't read this, he Bonzi Colson was thrown out first for a flagrant two foul. It was an elbow to the face. It was, whether they admit it or not, it was in retaliation to the flagrant one. A player from St. Francis received for elbowing him in the face. So Colson was kicked out of the game. It's automatic. It doesn't carry over or anything. Bray even unless said it's a fight. Unless it's a, a fight, yeah, it wasn't a fight. Bray even said the reason he ended up getting kicked out was there was a delay in trying to administer the technical and figure things out, and he got more and more upset with what happened. So he had more time to go and start yelling at the refs. And they, he said, I, it was weird. He said he wasn't trying to get kicked out. I thought he was. We have seen him try to get kicked out. I and thought not be kicked out. Yeah, before. I thought like that was in defense of yeah. Of he, but he was. Uh, he ended up watching the game. With Bonzi Colson in the locker room on Bonzi Colson's iPhone, and when he walked into the locker room, Colson said, "What are you doing here? Isn't there time left?" <laughs> so I thought it was one of the better. Uh, it's funny because it was St. Francis. Probably wouldn't be, it would be different if it was yeah. Duke, and they came back I, and I asked, or something. But. I asked Bray if it was a, a, a one-year contract with yeah, St. Like Francis. Well, he ba- he backed yeah. away from that, but. If I were in that position, St. Francis of Brooklyn would never walk in my gym again. Well, interesting, Gebbin said, he wasn't kicked out, he said, during the game I tried to tell everybody, he was kind of making a joke, they are going to be chippy and follows because yeah. that's the only way they can I mean, stay they in fed, this. P, you didn't see it, but I mean, they were they were overly physical, yeah. I thought, you know, I mean, and, and they hung in there, and so give them that's credit. That's why they hung in, because yeah, they were overly they, physical. I, give them credit, but... Farrell got a technical afterwards, he definitely wanted it, he said... <laughs> He got raked across the face, driving to the basket, and coming to the court. He just had some yeah, and that's words. What you hate for a guy, and you don't want Bonzi Colson suffering a broken nose against St. Francis of Brooklyn, so you can understand why. And, and give him a lot of credit when he when he got he did not break his nose. He was saying he could have. No, he could have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when he took that elbow, he he did not. He didn't retaliate. He didn't make a move in any direction. He just waited till he, he had said, check the tape. He yelled, "Check the tape!" It was the first thing you could hear. So <laughs> they checked the tape, and it's I, do, the I do like the. The idea of a three-quarters full arena, because, I mean, you know those preseason, yeah. preseason-type games, like, you can hear everything that Bray says, <laughs> so that probably only enhanced... You could hear what he says. Some, yes. of, the, some of the audio. 
Um, but yeah. Notre, so that Notre Dame, they've got IU in two weeks. They've got Ball State. Yeah, Ball State night. Tuesday, and then they go to Inglesby and Delaware. Yes. Um, which is a weird true road game against a mid-major. Yeah. They never really play, but it's because of Martin Inglesby. So that'll be fun for uh, Inglesby and all the players who still know Inglesby well. Before we wrap up this segment real quickly, we're going to jump back into football, specifically football recruiting. And um, just the other day, Notre Dame lost one of their verbally committed recruits. Running back Marquis Step, big kid, a kid that we saw up close, you and me, Pete, in the Irish Invasion. Um, just your thoughts on on that decision? I mean, I don't think it was much of a decision. I, it, it, you know, it, was, a, it wasn't his decision. Yeah, it was a situation where he needed to get some things right for admissions, and they didn't get right, and so he'll be looking for a new home. I I will be very curious to see where he lands uh, because if I had to wager, I think that he will be moving down the rankings. I don't think he's been right. as good as what yeah. his hype was. He barely played his junior year. Um, so I think ultimately we're talking about a three-star prospect that you just happen to have known about for a long time, so you think he might be better than he actually was. Like from Notre Dame's scholarship situation, I would rather them only take one running back in this class because you know next spring you're looking at, let's say Josh Adams leaves. You bring back Dexter Williams, Deion McIntosh, C.J. Holmes, um, Tony Jones, Tony Jones, Jameer Smith, and Rolls early. You already have five running backs on scholarship. That's enough. I mean, you could argue that's one too many already, uh, opposed to what they have at corner or linebacker, where they're really short on numbers. So I would much rather them say, let's sign one running back, and especially when Step and Smith are very similar type prospects, and kick that scholarship to another position where I actually need somebody. And, you know, I mean, the more defensive scholarships to quality defensive players they give out, the better. You're, yeah. you're deeper there. But, you know, I don't want to be the guy that when a guy decommits says, oh, he wasn't that good. But this was a guy that had some, some serious, uh, you know, consistent injury. Not necessarily serious. Yeah, a major but, hamstring issue. Okay, just so not on the fairly field serious. Yeah, wasn't on the field a lot. I, I was... The the one regret is that big back that can pound for you on third and one, which Nordame doesn't really have a lot per se. Yeah, I mean Jameer Smith may ultimately be that guy. I mean their 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 builds are not totally dissimilar, so it's um there. I'm with you on the. It seems too often that people cover recruiting <laughs> when there's a decommitment. They're like, well, he wasn't that good anyway. <laughs> Paulson Adebo. That one hurt. Robert Beal, that one hurt. Yeah. Uh, Donovan Jeter, that one hurt. Um, so they, you know, Pete Werner is one yes. that I think ultimately yeah. will hurt more and more as, as we look at the roster next this year. This one probably not this as This one much would be toward the bottom of the list. Yeah, and if, even if it was project defensive tackle or defensive end, he commits, like, oh, you need as many of those as you can to yeah, work out. Yeah. But right now, I don't think this is. Yeah, running back is. I mean, as Pete pointed out, there's you're you're in a pretty good situation there, and I love Jameer Smith. So yeah, so the beat goes on there. Uh, Brian Kelly did say something interesting about recruiting on Sunday night. Basically, if you don't sign in the December twenties oh, yeah. for early signing day, he's considering you not committed. Which is depending how good you are. Of course, there's always that, <laughs> but that runs a little bit counter to what the same question I asked on signing day when he said like I don't think all our guys were going to sign early, so I, I think they've maybe evolved their position about what the early signing day can mean for them. Some of that may be 
hey, we were actually good this year. Uh, we have more leverage than we did when we were 4-8. But it's great for, I mean, all coaches across the country having that early signing day because you don't have to keep recruiting those guys mm-hmm. while you're still trying to convince those are, that are that you're vying for. So from, from that standpoint, from a football coach's standpoint, mm-hmm. I'm happy for them because they don't have to keep recruiting all the kids through uh, – first week of February. Yeah, no question. All right, well, that's it for segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll come back with questions from our readers next. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Segment two, Irish Illustrated Insider. got a couple of Twitter questions. The first one, we got multiples on this one, so I'm not going to credit the question. And they want to know, fifth-year seniors you expect back and any freshmen that you think might start next year? Uh, for the first part, I do believe that Tranquil has decided to go. I think, I think his responses last why. night indicated. When you say he knows you get a first-round grade, a second-round grade, or a comeback to school, well, he's going to get a comeback to school because yeah. guys like Sheldon Day did. That's not a cut-down. He doesn't have to come back to school like those guys do because he has a degree. He has two knee injuries on his docket, and he's getting married, and he was crying on senior day. And he left it open that <laughs> I may go even if I get a come back to school grade. So I think Drew Tranquil's leaving. Yeah. Um, I think Josh Adams leaving because he absolutely should. Uh, Nick Wisher, Pete mentioned, could transfer somewhere else and start. I think, pending what happens with Alze Mack, another guy who, as long as there's an academic good standing, he would have to come back because they're not holding drafts in Canada. Right. Um, Wisher could be talked into coming back if Alze Mack isn't on the team, though. What I had heard about Wisher was that early in the year he had decided to leave, that he was going to depart after the year. Now, the way the season ended with Mack getting one snap at Stanford and Wisher sort of being the number two, which means he would be the number one next year, that may change. Um, I do know that at Notre Dame, on staff, they feel like Cole Komet is going to be a superstar, and they really like Brock Wright a lot. They're not sure what's going on with Alizé Mack. That's been, a, a, obviously, it was a bit of a frustrating junior year for him. They would gladly have him back. Sure. But yes. it's not a situation where they can count on him as the, the front-line starter with Durham Smythe gone. So, tight end, I, I think there could be a surprise there. Uh, certainly, Bars and Mustafa are back. Jonathan Bonner is not coming back. Jay Hayes is a maybe. Uh, and then, you know, Nick Watkins... I thought had a pretty good end of the year after things got weird. It certainly would back up that, yes, he actually had knee tendonitis opposed to Troy Pride beat him out. Because at the end of the year, Nick Watkins was playing more than Troy Pride, at least at Stanford. Then there's questions or guys like Newsom, who I don't know why he wouldn't come back. Was people think he's going to go somewhere else? I I don't know why Hunter would do that. He would have no reason to do that. So he should come back. Um Equinemius St. Brown should come back for senior year, obviously. And I think Tavon Coney should. I know he had a good year, but I think Tavon Coney needs another good year of starting football. 
I think that I asked Brian Kelly specifically who were the guys who wanted feedback as underclassmen, and I think that the answer, obviously Tranquil is one, I asked Tranquil and he said, yeah, I did, uh, would be Coney, Tillery, and St. Brown. I think St. Brown will be back almost for sure. I would be floored if Coney left. It would be a bad, bad decision. Right. Tillery I could see maybe leaving. Um, for the NFL? I, I, yeah, for the NFL. I think the coaching staff is going to have to sort of re-recruit Coney and Tillery at least a little bit. Yeah, that's I'm fair. Not saying, that's fair. I'm not saying like a Ronnie Stanley hard sell, we have to fly to your house type stuff. <laughs> Dear God, please. But in the same way, I don't think they really did a good job with Troy Nicholas on this point. I don't think you can just assume that they're going to be back either. Yeah, I think they were probably blindsided by Nicholas's yeah. decision. We all kind of were a little bit until... We showed up at the pinstripe bowl, and he was evasive about it. But that, when when he was evasive to us, they should have started recruiting him. Yes. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, then the only guy left would be the other end of the roster. I assume Canteen keeps his spot, even though he's a grad transfer, unless he's a medical concern at this point, too. Could be. Yeah, I, I think mean, he gets, he's probably there in the spring, and if he gets hurt again, they've got to talk to him. Because he can't keep... There's gonna be, it'll be tight. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be under 85. They always are. But things have to happen to get under 85, and he could be one of the things that happens. He's not going to get any playing time. So. Right, right. And unless he's the guy that wants to be on the team and play special teams, yeah. and there's yeah. other options. As far as freshman starters next year, um, I would be f- absolutely floored if Derek Allen didn't start at least once next year. And he will be he will be in the rotation. I know that a lot of people felt like Darnell Yule would be similar in a similar stature at this point a year ago. I think Derek Allen is so much more advanced in terms of just sort of understanding football. I also think the need of that position is actually more dire than defensive tackle, if you can believe it. Um, and then I would be pretty surprised if Phil Dracovic was not the backup quarterback next year. Well, Which I never, puts I, him in a potential starting I mean, spot, is yeah. what you're saying. And we, Pete and I were actually talking about this last night. I mean, Avery Davis, I never felt like Avery Davis was a fit for what Notre Dame wants to do. I felt like the second Dracovic was in tow, he became a guy that was going to have a problem. But I don't know if I thought of that before. Well, I guess it was about that time it was similar, actually. But I I think I always thought of Phil Dracovic, and that's why I never considered Avery Davis. Yeah, and Ian Book is, is your perennial backup. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, that, there's definitely a real a real need for that. Um, but I, I think if Allen and Dracovic were early enrollees, I would have supreme confidence in this. Yeah. Now I just have like I think yeah. an educated guess. Uh, first question from the boards: Wash and D. O'Malley, did you want to read this? Yeah, one? this is a long a bit one. of a novel. Wash and D's got to <laughs> This is a good question. Then we had a couple like this. Looking over the next five to six years, has Jack Swarbrick scheduled ND out of playoff chances? He points out annual games against USC, Navy, and Stanford. Then you usually have one or two high-level teams from the ACC, of course, plus something along the Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Georgia, and Arkansas line. Um, they're essentially playing five potential playoff teams every year. Could anyone, including Alabama, go through this? Doesn't it seem more likely Notre Dame will have nine or ten wins as a high end? I, you know, it, <laughs> yes. he makes a hell of a point. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good point, and Brian Kelly mentioned about scheduling. I'm sure people were looked at that maybe as making an excuse, but well, just just by the mere fact that you every year you have to end at USC or at Stanford, in and of itself makes it difficult. 
you know, next year, Nordane plays Navy in San Diego and then comes home and has to go to Northwestern, which is one of those games where it's a, you know, a trap game because you have Florida State at home the week after that. Um, Syracuse at home, and then, of course, you end at USC. Um, you know, in 2019, you have Michigan at Michigan, and then you get into November, and there's five weekends in November. It's Virginia Tech at Duke, Navy, BC. I guess that looks like it's a weaker part, but still, it's Navy, and it's BC, a physical opponent. You know they're going to be physical with uh, with their head coach, and then, of course, you finish at Stanford. So, hell of a question there, Washington, <laughs> D, because, uh, you know, I think there is there is a lot of truth to that. Now, don't turn the ball over in the fourth quarter, and you win at Stanford here a couple weeks ago. Um, and a lot of what has happened in Notre Dame in November is is self-induced. But I think there are some good points. I just I don't think that Swarbrick has scheduled Notre Dame out of playoff contention. I also think that the schedule was way harder than it looked when it was made. You know, when when Georgia was on there, it was nine and three Georgia and. NC State was eight and four, seven and five, maybe six and six. NC State and Miami was certainly not uh, eleven and two. Point. Miami, it was the, eight, the team eight that played Pitt two four. weeks later. It was yeah. it was the team that came to Notre Dame last year and right. lost a four and eight Notre Dame. I mean, that was the that was the Mi- or the Miami that you played at Soldier Field and won forty two to three or whatever that was. So, I think this schedule. Broke really hard for Notre Dame. I also think overall that's a positive because if Notre Dame goes eleven and one, Alabama is off to the Cotton Bowl or the Orange Bowl. Right. Uh, Notre Dame is in the playoff, and they they're were, number one. The Georgia loss, the only one. Yeah, you're right. They're number one. Yeah. yeah. But you know what, though? The problem with that is they lost by 150 at Miami. So we can't. I know that Miami would probably not have have beaten Notre Dame at any point prior to that game being played. And I don't know if they'd have beaten Notre Dame if the game was at noon, as you've said before, Pete. Or this past weekend. Or the weekend before, yeah. This past weekend. But you know when they beat them? They beat them really, really handily when they played. So we cannot be part of the media that counts Notre Dame should have beaten Miami just because they're better than them. Because they got killed. One-on-one we against Miami. We can go all across the nation and name teams. LSU yes. lost by 30 to Mississippi but State. They shouldn't have beaten them. Georgia got hammered by <laughs> Auburn in the regular season. You know, we focus so much on Notre Dame. We can name a dozen, two dozen examples yeah. of quality programs that got Ohio State got hammered by Iowa. Right. But to Pete's point, 11-1 Notre Dame is easily in and yeah. maybe the number one team in the country. Yeah. Um, it's I, I like the way that they're scheduling because... I don't want to see Notre Dame against uh, Southeast Louisiana yeah. State. I don't want to. You don't want to beg your way in to trying no. to get in there. Notre Dame did. Ha- if Notre Dame just took care of business, there are, they're in. There are multiple ways to try to get in the playoff. <laughs> One of them is the Wisconsin Washington route, which did not work for Wisconsin or Washington this year. So does that mean that that brand of scheduling is a mistake? No. I mean, I, with Alabama, I think people look at that now as like. Florida State was garbage. Like, what kind of a game is they, that? They tried they to were, schedule the best second best team in the country. It. I mean, that was that's not like that runs counter to my. Well, you didn't really know what kind of Miami you're going to get. You you're pretty sure what kind of Florida State you were going to get. A top five version. The fact that Florida State completely fell apart in some ways is Alabama's fault because they injured DeAndre Francois. But 
I give them credit for playing that game. And I, I think the yes. committee I think the committee was smart to look at Florida State not as the Florida State that they devolved into, right. but the Florida State that actually showed up at that game because that was the team that Alabama beat going away in the fourth quarter. Well, that's right. You know, I I was adamant about Alabama should be one of the top four because you can't I mean there's only so much blame you can put on the team for when when teams in your conference just aren't as good. I mean, you can't. They can't control what their opposition is doing every other week. And I mean, I just it, I, that would have been a horrible precedent. I would think they would have said had they picked Ohio State, Alabama deserved to be in that four hole. We can't answer Washington's question officially, but to put a bow on it, at a Pete's point, let's say Notre Dame played a good game against Miami, beat Stanford. So they lose 20-24 at Miami, ACC playoff game, or ACC championship yeah. participant, lose to Georgia in it. Then you wonder, could Notre Dame at 10-2 and two have gotten in over 11, over whatever Alabama finished? Uh, Forgot they had a data four. point, 13, so 12-1 and one Alabama. I mean, it would have been a discussion, for sure. Yeah. It would have been, it definitely would have been a discussion, because I, I think that Notre Dame would have, when everyone was fixated on Ohio State versus Alabama, I, and USC being sort of like a distant third, I think Notre Dame would have been a hell of a lot closer to Alabama and Ohio State yes. than USC was. Um, and the fact that... I, I think overall, this it worked well for Notre Dame for multiple reasons. One of them being, you clearly don't need to play a 13th game if you're really good. Uh, Alabama didn't play one. Ohio State didn't play yeah. one last year. The Cole Conference Championship thing is, is whatever. It's, it just doesn't really matter. So I, I like Notre Dame's aggressive approach in scheduling. Is it the easiest way to get in? No. Is it the only way to get in? Maybe. I'm not really sure. But I, I do think Notre Dame looks at it as like, you know what, we're independent. And we need to we need to have no doubt if we go 11-1 and that we're going to get in. And th- they have scheduled their way in from that philosophy. And to quote someone I know, this is supposed to be fun. And it's more fun <laughs> when you play good teams. Yeah, yes. Irish by the sea. How confounded are you by Brian Kelly's statement that the team was emotionally worn down heading into a game that could help them in the hunt for the playoffs? If you can't get up for a potential playoff berth, when can you? And I'm going to add, if you can't get up for Stanford, when can you? Um, it's a good point. We were talking about this. I, I, Pete and I were there, and I don't know that the magnitude of his words exactly kind of hit us at that point. When I sat down and wrote the story and transcribed Brian Kelly's comments where he said there are some things I can help them with in terms of our leaders and captains to take that on themselves because it can't come from us. They've got to be able to do that. That just strikes me as something that a coach... And he, you know, there's a thread on our message board about he didn't take any responsibility for it. That's not true. He did. But in this specific statement, he didn't and kind of let the coaching staff off the hook with that. When you're the head coach, man, you're responsible for everything. You're responsible for the strength and conditioning, and you're responsible for the mentally and the the mental and the emotional preparation of your team. He did take responsibility for it if you listen to the entire interview or the entire press conference. But to me, making statements like that, that's the kind of thing that you say amongst your coaches. You don't say it publicly. Felt honesty wasn't the best policy. And especially, this is kind of like the, the problem the committee has with all these TV shows, t- doing the full disclosure. If Brian Kelly just said, you know, at some point in, in November, 
I looked at us and thought, man, this is not the same look we had in October. I think everybody's okay with that. Yeah. Because that had to be the case, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Couldn't we all just kind of guess or surmise that, that was going say, on? But then to go so far as to say they have to, yeah. they're the ones that ultimately are responsible for it, you, you don't, he you needed don't need a reason. to go there. He needed a public reason for an ugly 2-2 two and two after 8-1, and one, and unfortunately he offered it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was strange because about 10 minutes earlier he said that the end of the season wasn't a disappointment, and yeah, they was, he's playing word games there now. And again, I don't think that it comes out sounding very good. No, no, it, it's because it was disappointing. It's like I because it was yeah, disappointing. It was yeah, disappointing. He, think, but yeah. He, his point was, I don't want to say I'm disappointed in my team mm-hmm. and my players, right? Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily come out sounding that. It way. was, I, I was an interesting statement. It was not nearly the the most interesting thing that he said that sort of is like, uh, that's going to be a headline uh, as soon as it comes out of your mouth. But I, I agree with him in some respects that I think the great teams are player-led, not coach-led. And they, need, they needed something in November to sort of get them refocused and re-energized. I don't think that had to be a player it certainly could have been yeah, a head well, coach you, or a no, coordinator you, or the or matt bayless i mean there, there are a bunch of different button people that could have pushed a button um and i do i remember when we were down for the national championship game nick saban i think it was at the press conference before the game talking about the the one of the most important jobs for head coaches to sort of find the mental edge for your team and i think that's something that he has not given enough credit for how good he is yeah. at doing because he he beats human nature. Um, Brian Kelly has struggled at that. I, I don't think that Notre Dame's big game performances like USC this year happen often enough. Um, you know, I thought they, they were very well wired at Michigan State. They were very well wired against USC, uh, NC State this year. But clearly in November, either he needed to change message or the players were physically beat up, which I feel like had something to do with it. I do, I do wonder. It's like whenever stuff goes wrong, we're trying to find a million different reasons for it. When maybe it was just like your quarterback needed to play better, or maybe it's, that was it. Or yeah, well that that's definitely the case. Or maybe it's just athletic competition, and sometimes one team beats the other. Yes, but, but if you're sitting, this is my point. If you're you okay? You're having a meeting with your team, and it's the Monday of Stanford week, and you're looking, and they're giving you that glassy-eyed, you know, yeah. far-off look. You can't leave it to your players. You've right. got to. T- it's it's got to be on your shoulders to come up with something. I don't know exactly what that is, but you can't leave it to chance and say, "Well, you know, it's up to our players to ultimately find this." When you're the head coach, it's on the line. You got to come up with something. Yeah, I don't know either, but I know that Stanford. Played the one game this year they didn't have to win was against Notre Dame. They found a way to play hard and win the game. Yeah. They could have lost by 50 points, and they were still playing the Pac-12 championship game the next week, and they were up for it. Yeah, I'm not really into that line of thinking about... Like, they weren't up for the game? That they it was a game they didn't have to win, or they didn't want to win, or... They like, definitely wanted to win. Yeah, Stanford. I mean, it was... Like, I'm just saying, they did the ebb and flow. What happened to their ebb and flow? They played their yeah, chief rival it, in California, it and then they game, had to play it for a title. Apply to Stanford. Well, I mean, were they wired in when they played USC the first time and got blown out? Maybe. USC was good. Were they? I, I mean, they, they beat them 42-14. Yeah. I mean, um, no, it wasn't that much. It was 42-24. But. I mean, were they, were they dialed in when they played Oregon State and 
That's why you can name, like you can, you can I, name you can name three dozen teams yeah. teams across the country that had a week or two where they just yeah. weren't ready to play. It's, you know, Notre Dame was winning in the fourth quarter at Stanford, yeah. and then the quarterback played really poorly. So is it an excuse that they were glazed over? You know, it's. I think it says more about they were worn down. Um, you know, maybe some of that is the Navy hangover theory, which I, I think is legitimate. Yeah, I, um, I believe in that one. You know, maybe it was that they got smoked at Miami and just felt like they had a, an air of invincibility that had been built up and suddenly all just spilled all over the floor that they couldn't put that back together. I, I feel like there were a lot of factors in play, but in the end, they were winning in the fourth quarter and the quarterback throws a horrendous interception. If they don't do that, then maybe they find a way to get out of there and finish 10-2. SR five four five two. The staff said they had a good team. They had good team leadership coming into this season. Who do you guys expect to be the leaders of the two thousand eighteen Notre Dame team? I mean, if Josh Adams comes back, he will be a captain again. I think he will be a, a very valuable part of that roster uh, in the locker room. Never mind on the field. Um, I don't know if he's the most vocal guy, but they're. Losing if Tranquil comes back, then he clearly yeah. will be. Let, let's say Adams and Tranquil leave, because right. uh, then then this question gets more interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, there's just not a lot of. I mean, Julian Love would be a captain as a junior. I think that would be a lock. He's a lock as a senior already, so he would be as a junior. Beyond that, like you know, I think Dalen Hayes has the personality for it, but yes. not really the production as yeah. a senior too. Though I'd wait on that one. Um, you know, Jerry Tillery has a production, but maybe not the personality. Sam Mustafer would be Must, captain. I think Mustafer is conscientious enough to do it. Um, beyond that, it's hard if, if to J, pick if, guys out. If Jay out. Hayes stays, maybe. I, don't I mean, know. I don't. You know, I mean, he's a big personality. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, great leader on the team. Tavon Coney, no clue. I, I, I mean, certainly by example, yeah, right. based upon uh, this, this year. No, no. You don't think just Sean the, Crawford? Uh, I guess if you have Julian Love, that, that kind of Sean Crawford's not a real outspoken yeah. guy. I mean, it's, I, I, so I guess we understand why this question was asked. It was. You know a, what the problem is? No one answered the senior quarterback. Well, I have his name down here, but that but he falls. Uh, yeah, he falls under the category of it's hard to lead a guy that isn't playing consistently. He would also be the first quarterback to be a captain under. Oh, Brian that's Kelly. right. Kaiser would have hard to be a leader Kaiser with. Him. Been as a senior. Yeah, but. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He chose not to be here. Yeah. So it's uh there it could be a difficult uh it certainly won't be a seven captain team, no. I don't think like it was this year. I mean it could be just sort of the Mustafer Julian Love combo. And we that, didn't even mention Alex Bars, and I don't think Alex Bars is a leader per se either. No, not in the way Mustafer is. No. I mean I think with Nelson and McGlinchey it was obvious both mm-hmm. made sense. Um you know, even at linebacker, Tranquil Morgan and Martini, I think all three made sense. But I don't look at Bars and Mustafer that way, nor would I look at Coleman Crawford and Love that way. You know, maybe Tavon. You know, Tavon Coney was such a surprise this year. I think even to the coaching staff, maybe there's another level for him to go to. I I I really don't know. I think he won't announce it Friday because they they don't know. There's years, and that's nothing wrong with that. I forgot. That's a yeah. good point. They did do that last year. It'll be later on. You yeah. don't have to announce you, it now. You have to. They have another game to play too. Valid. Also, they didn't have a game last year. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's it for Irish Illustrated Insider, our Monday post bowl announcement podcast. We're going to be back a week from today. Um, 
not much going on this week, but we'll have coverage of the Echoes, more hoop stuff, and so we'll be back next Monday to talk about all that on our next podcast. Until then, Pete Sampson, Tim O'Malley, Tim Priester, thanks for listening.